the Standing Group Only Podcast. I am Ben Standing, the host of this here podcast, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. Hope everyone is doing great. I'm talking to you guys Monday night, just a couple hours before the NCAA Tournament uh, National Championship game, which is uh, uh, should be exciting. The, the, the UCLA-Gonzaga semifinal was all kinds of fun. Um, here's what's also fun. NFL mock drafts, at least I think it's fun. I think a lot of you guys think it's fun. And so on this episode of the podcast, we're going to go through my brand new first round NFL mock draft that's up on The Athletic. Brendan Dar from the Team 980 in town joined me for a conversation about that. We didn't go pick by pick, but we went over some of the key pivot points in this draft. Um, we did this over the weekend. So before today's big trade involving the Carolina Panthers and the New York Jets with Sam Darnold going to the Panthers, we'll, we'll get into that in a second here, what that may mean for the draft and possibly may even mean for Washington. Um, but anyway, so Brendan and I do that. And in addition to that, I'm going to talk with Jeff Ehrman, Maryland insider for 24-7 Sports. A lot going on in that program with Mark Turgeon. Uh, they, they just got a couple uh, transfers in, including Cutis Ohio from Georgetown. So Jeff and I talked about Maryland, about Georgetown, college basketball in general. I like that sport, so I wanted to get into it a little bit, or at least I have historically liked that sport. I'm, 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 we're, we're, we're in a bit of an impasse right now, but the UCLA-Gonzaga game was all kinds of fun. Um, before I get into all that, just a quick reminder, if you're hearing this on Monday night, you could still possibly get in, and today is the last day of the $1 a month subscription offer on The Athletic. If you go to the mock draft story that I have, or I also have a new story today on whether how much it makes sense for Washington to actually draft a quarterback on day two based on historical norms at that position, what you may get out of other positions, things like that. So if you check all that out on The Athletic, you can get in on a really good deal for $1 per um, for one dollar per month. Um, all right, so let's get into some things here before I get into these conversations with Brendan and Jeff. I mentioned a few minutes ago that this afternoon – the Carolina Panthers traded um, a second-round pick in, in next year's draft, a fourth-round pick, I think, in next year's draft, and a sixth-round pick to the Jets for Sam Darnold. Uh, you know, obviously, there's been a lot of discussion about would the Jets uh, move Darnold. It looked like they were heading in the direction of, of going with Zach Wilson, and they obviously made that move. I want to talk about this really quickly on a couple of fronts. You know, obviously – there was a question was would Washington get involved at some point with Sam Darnold? And the, the issue for me always had, was, look, if you're going to give up a significant asset and a second round pick is a significant asset, you know, you want that player to be not just on your roster for more than a couple of years, but that guy should be a, a starter. Now they could make Sam Darnold a starter, but you're going to have to make some decisions quick. You would have to pick up the fifth year option at a minimum, which the Panthers apparently are doing according to reports. Um, which is going to be a little over $18 million for next season. But then you still may have to make a call about extending him further. Um, it never, I, I wouldn't say it never made that much. It, it, I wouldn't say that it didn't make sense for Washington. It just didn't seem to go with Ron Rivera's um, MO. It, it, it's, it's um, you know, I, I didn't necessarily know that they would go out and get Ryan Fitzpatrick, but it seemed like, you know, even before they, they made the Matthew Stafford deal, I remember, or, or the attempting to make the Matthew Stafford deal, I remember saying on here and elsewhere that it felt like they were looking to get a veteran. Sam Darnold is somebody who is still learning. Um, 
you know, they, they, I did report that they had looked into Marcus Mariota. And while Mariota is obviously something you're going to have to fix at least, I think Mariota, there's a little more history there um, that, that he has done some things in this league, a little older quarterback. Darnold, you know, he's still a pretty young guy. And, you know, with the Jets situation last year, I think there's going to be some things they're going to, a team will have to, to, to work on. Carolina's in a bit of, uh, I don't know if rebuild is the right word, but like they're not, you know, I, th- I think that's a, they're, they're retooling, we'll say. Now, Carolina still has Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I, I saw uh, somebody had a suggestion that Washington should be looking to go for Bridgewater. I mean, that is crazy. They have Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm not knocking Teddy Bridgewater, but he makes a lot of money on his current deal. He'd have to he'd have to rework his contract dramatically. And even then, Washington has Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like that's the guy they got. That's their veteran guy, not Teddy Bridgewater. Ryan Fitzpatrick. So it doesn't make any logical sense that they would do that. I'm not, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think anything else needs to be said on that. It's interesting. If you see the price that Carolina paid, though, and Washington had not gotten Fitzpatrick, um, my thought was that Washington might wait. This was back then before Fitzpatrick. That maybe Washington decides to wait and see what transpires down the line uh, as we get closer to the draft. Um I don't know. It's a, I, I'm surprised the Jets got as much as they did. Maybe there was more of a market for Darnold than imagined, or maybe the Panthers decided after going through all the pro days, either they decided that they weren't in love with some of the options that they were getting, or, and I think this is important to, to recognize as well, you know, the Panthers were, the, were one of the teams coaching at the Senior Bowl, and one of the players there was Mac Jones um, from Alabama. And it, it seems like, right, the 49ers have traded up to the third pick. By all accounts, it looks like they're eyeing Mac Jones. We'll see if that, if that transpires in a few weeks when we get to the actual draft. But it felt like that was something that was happening. So um, I, I, uh, so maybe the Panthers decided we have to do something. They clearly were ready to move on from Bridgewater. But anyway, if you, if you said to me, hey, Ben, would you trade – if there's no Fitzpatrick here, would you make that trade? A six this year, a second next year, and a fourth for Darnold. I, I, I guess, you know what, now that I've asked myself this question, I actually don't really know how to answer it. I, I do. I would need to study more tape on Darnold. You talk to some people in the league who think he's absolutely worth the gamble, that the skills coming out of college were really good, um, that there's a lot to like. Even even what he's done in three years in the NFL, there's enough to see, to, 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 to offer some promise, more towards the first two years than last year when everything just went wrong for the Jets. I just don't know what Washington thinks of him. They obviously decided they were going to move in a different direction and not wait that out. So I don't have any, I'm not sitting here going, oh, what was Washington that they didn't get Sam Darnold? Definitely not that. Um, One other thing before we move on with regards to the draft. So as I said, I'll I'll go through a bunch of these picks here in the draft. And I did have the Panthers taking a quarterback um, at number eight. Um, I didn't do trades in the mock draft. So I just kind of how I think things would end up. And I kept imagining the Panthers ending up with a quarterback. I believe Trey Lance was who I gave him to. Um, you just talking to some people around the league really quick. People are saying, don't rule out Panthers still taking a quarterback. That the assumption is that Bridgewater will get traded here pretty quickly and they can move on from, you know, that, that, that they still could take a quarterback. So we'll see how that, how that goes. I, um, I, I would find it, Sort of curious if the if the Panthers, even if they get rid of Bridgewater, take a quarterback at eight. I, I mean, you're you're committing to Darnold this year essentially, and you just picked up his fifth year option. 
So I, I, if you draft a quarterback, I, I don't know what that does. It's different where, say, if the Jets had drafted Zach Wilson and kept Darnold. Okay, fine. Let Zach Wilson go from there, and you see what Darnold has. Let Zach Wilson learn. I personally think that's a good way to go. See what you have in Darnold, then you can make a decision there. It feels like it feels sort of backwards the other way. Even if, say, Trey Lance is there at eight, I just don't know if I'm Car- if I'm Carolina that I'm then doing making that move. And 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 it's interesting. I had somebody say they thought it was interesting that so many deals were happening ahead of the draft because you know it's where it's as we get to the draft that things start to get more interesting. So making it now, you're kind of committing yourself in a certain direction to some degree without kind of knowing what the world will look like. In any event, fun fun stuff here on a Monday afternoon um, that, that, that shook up the day. So kind of fun for that to uh, to have had happen. Um, also fun, my, my two conversations coming up. Again, first up, Brendan Dar and I talking about the uh, my, my first round NFL mock draft. And then we'll get to my conversation with Jeff Ehrman talking about Maryland basketball. Hope you guys check it out. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast yet, iTunes, Spotify, you know the deal. Appreciate it. Let's get to it um, here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. You know somebody is, is is a very nice person when they're into college basketball and they're willing to talk about an NFL mock draft during the Final Four. Brendan Dar is is, is that type of person. I don't I had, I, I, We were just talking about this before I came on the air. Like, it is the Final Four, so... It, it, we have both have it on, but like I, I didn't care enough that when we decided that we were going to do this now, I was okay with that. Is the delta where you landed on this? It's like, yeah, it's fine, but it's not like there's no way I'd be doing this podcast ten years ago. Right. For the record, I mean. when I agreed to this, I thought Gonzaga would be up by like thirty points at this point, and they're not. <laughs> so I, I did this to myself. Well, well, it, it, I don't think. Well, hopefully, we're not talking when this game is near the final few minutes. But if somehow that were to happen, we would. Uh, if it's tight, we, we I, I agree to, uh, to 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 pause the podcast. Um, so, as I said earlier uh, in the introduction, that uh, by the time you guys hear this podcast, most likely my uh, first round mock draft will already be up on the Athletic, and I'm not going to go through this pick by pick. But you know, I, I know. People are interested to some degree what I think about these things, and it's fun to talk about. And obviously, the, the Washington football team is a, a, involved. There, they have the 19th pick. What happens before them, as Ron Rivera said the other day, impacts what they do. So, Brandon's here to help me kind of go through some of this, uh, my picks. But like, I think these are the, we'll go through the ones I think are sort of the pivot points. Where, look, obviously, in any pick, they could go in multiple directions. But the ones where I think are the most interesting decisions right now. And, um, you know, we, like, in other words, we're not going to waste a lot of time on Trevor Lawrence to the Jags. Hopefully everybody understands what, 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 what that's all about. Although, and, and I should know, Brandon is a much bigger college football guy than I am. So I'm sure he will uh, tell me along the way if somebody he thinks is criminally over or underrated uh, or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm here for. I thought we were just going to talk about Trevor Lawrence for, you know, 60 minutes and just go with that. I, I mean, it, I, I, I've been – you know, looking at your mock draft and obviously there's one pivot point where it all starts and it's not Trevor Lawrence. So we can just skip that one. <laughs> right. And like, uh, unless the jets do something unusual, we're all assuming at this point, they're taking Zach Wilson at two. So we can jump ahead to the third pick, the 49ers, obviously from the moment they made the big trade with Miami, I've already lost track of 10 days ago, two weeks. I don't know. Whenever that was 10 days ago. Uh, I guess actually it was just a week ago today. Yeah, I think it was a week ago on this Saturday. In any, in any event, um, 
immediately from that point, it, you know, enough people were saying, this is for Mac Jones from Alabama. And we're like, wait, what's going on here? I, that doesn't make sense because, you know, during the season, not everybody was even convinced Mac Jones was a first round pick. Even like two months ago, he was clearly the fifth of the top five quarterbacks somewhere in the first round. But we all thought maybe Washington would have a chance to take him at 19 without even having to trade up. Then it became, well, he's probably going to go a few sp- spots ahead of 19. Now, now we've reached a point where he may be the, going third in the draft. And I'm not putting him here third because I'm following what everybody is saying. I personally still not sure that it isn't going to be Trey Lance. I've had people tell me they think Trey Lance is a really good fit for what Shanahan does. He played under center um, at North Dakota state. Obviously it's a very weird, it's very, you can't get much different than playing at Alabama versus North Dakota state. Not to mention he played one game this last in this last year and he's going to need time, but uh, you know, at least he has seemingly the upside to maybe justify this along with the fit. But Mac Jones, from what I gather from talking to people, but just, you know, the more things you hear, seems like this is the thing. Um, how, how it doesn't sound like you're convinced or are you, are you not convinced or you just can't believe that that's actually the move they would make? I can absolutely believe that's the move they would make. It's just not the move I would make. And it's why I don't like the idea at all. Um, one of the things that I have heard is that Kyle Shanahan really likes this type of quarterback. He likes the cerebral, you know, kind of guy that's not all, you know, he's not Trevor Lawrence in the mobility department. I think he ran what a four, seven, eight. So it's not bad. It's better than what I think a lot of people were thinking it was going to be, but Mac Jones is, he's good. He's I've seen him comp to like, Kirk Cousins and like I get it like if you look back at what Shanahan has had throughout the years it's you know Kirk Cousins it's Jimmy Garoppolo it's Matt Matt Schaub it's that it's that type of guy and I think people are seeing just the history there and then forgetting that one of his most successful coaching seasons was with RG3 and I think if you're trading up and giving up as much as they gave up to me it doesn't make any sense to trade up for a guy whose ceiling is maybe Kirk Cousins, whereas Justin Fields or Trey Lance have significantly higher ceilings, I would say. And I just, if you look at what happened in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes, you saw a an athlete that could get out of the pocket and do a lot of things that Trey Lance and Justin Fields can do. And if you're trading up and you're giving up as much as they did, I got to think that kind of weighs on Kyle Shanahan in some way. I I forget if it was like the PFF forecast or something like that. I was listening to one of the, uh, another podcast and they made this great point about how Kyle Shanahan has lost to that type of quarterback. And if he's trading up, maybe he thinks that's what he can get and get the most out of instead of a Mac Jones who has a significantly lower ceiling, but a significantly higher floor in that first year. Right. I mean, I would think, I would hope, like, so the, part of the thing that's a puzzle for me is, like, I get the idea that you're not sold on Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe primarily because of the injuries, but at the same time, like, who was going to be better in 2021, Jimmy Garoppolo or any of these rookie quarterbacks, right? Even Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. I would probably argue the answer is, Jimmy Garoppolo, based on historical norms. I mean, you know, Dustin Herbert came in last year 
and was pretty good. But you know, by oh, he all you know, whatever. They they were not great most of the year. They they finished under five hundred. And I mean, you know, whatever. And most just in general, most rookie quarterbacks take a minute to get going. Okay, yeah. the Niners are, are, you know, if you if you discount all their injuries last year, they are still the you know they they were the team that won the NFC when they were fully healthy. So you would think that logically they would not be thinking this is a rebuild. This is a a reload situation. Get us a quarterback and let's try to get back there again. Right. Um, So why, if you're going to do this, I I keep assuming they're going to keep Garoppolo. So if you're going to keep Garoppolo and I could be wrong on that, but if you're going to do that, why wouldn't you then, like you said, go for the upside play? Yeah. Go for the upside. Let Trey Lance or Justin Fields, I kind of I can't I can't say I like Lance better because it's so hard to even say, but whatever. Maybe it's more of the unknown. I'm willing to like more. Uh, let that guy rest for you. But if you're going to trade Garoppolo and then because you think Mac Jones is ready to go now, boy, I mean that's just it. It's not even to me so much about the Kirk Cousins point you made, which is a totally valid one. It's just like why are you going to potentially throw this year away for, for this? I I don't. That's the part that I kind of don't. I don't get with it. So the combination of this year and the upside makes to me think the answer should be Trey Lance or somebody. Uh, I, I will, I will ask you this though. We know how these things work. Uh, all these quarterbacks, half of them bomb. So yeah. if I told you that you were going to get Kirk cousins, would you, I, I can't like, I don't know what fields and Lance will be, but I'm telling you, Magdones will be Kirk cousins. I, I think in, like a top five pick, you've kind of just kind of got to swing for the upside. Like, and that's, that, that's kind of where I come back to. If you're giving up as much as they did to move up to number three, you've got to be willing to do that for upside. You, you can't just do it for the Kirk cousins. Like you've got to do it for a Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. What if you're, but what if you're so, I was going to say arrogant and I don't want to be there, but if you're so confident as a play caller, as a schemer and all that, that it may be Kyle Shanahan is, do you think to yourself, look, I had, I had, I was in the Super Bowl. Like who were the Niners receivers that year? George Kittle's good, but he, George Kittle kind of came from nowhere to a degree Raheem Mostert was like their best running back. It's not like they had, they were loaded on offense, but that offense was rolling and they did it with a guy that he obviously doesn't feel that comfortable with. If you just get, the Kirk Cousins level player with the brilliance of Kyle Shanahan, would that be enough? It almost feels like that. If it is Mac Jones, it almost feels like that's what he's saying. I don't necessarily agree with the idea of trading all the way up for it, but it almost feels like he's willing to say, I just need to get that level of a guy. I think this guy's it. And that's enough. Yeah. And I, I totally understand that. I, I get the safety argument. It's just, if you're doing that at number two and you landed there, I get that if you're trading up for it and you're giving up all those pieces, I kind of think you got to swing for the upside, but what you're saying makes total sense. And a lot of people are saying it, it's going to be Mac Jones. And I, I, I believe that like, it's not like this is the other part of it. When you say that you don't like Mac Jones at number three, it sounds like you're saying you don't like Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is probably going to be pretty good. Like his floor as a quarterback is probably no worse than like career backup. Whereas some of these other guys, like if Trey Lance doesn't hit, he's probably not seeing a, a second or third con- – well, he'll see a second contract. 
but he probably won't see a long-term second contract. Whereas Mac Jones could at least be in the league for like 10 years as a backup. Like that makes total sense to me. So I, I see the safety argument. Yeah. Um, for, uh, for, for sure. All right. So I, and I, I didn't, I, I told this to the audience in the intro. I did not tell this to Brendan because I just didn't do that. The, the mock draft, Brendan had us had two components It had the mock draft one to 32 that I gave you. And because they didn't want it to just be straight. Cause we have other people to do the straight ones. I had to come up with some other angle. So my angle was uh, what's the ideal pick for each team, like within reason, like I'm not having Trevor Lawrence drop tw- to 20, <laughs> but like, you know, within oh, you reason. don't want him to drop the 19. That'd be uh, yes. I, I could not have, I could not justify that. But like, so in this case, I said the ideal pick would be Trey Lance for all the reasons that we just, Said And again, I'm not even remotely suggesting that I can tell you definitively that Trey Lance will make it. I've talked to people around the league who can't tell you that. It's just based on all the things we just discussed. The the, the raw talent, the potential, you know, there could be something special there, whereas Mac Jones, like you said, the ceiling may be cut to a certain degree, but, um, you know, maybe it's a higher floor. Anyway, it's an interesting scenario. Um, Here's another interesting scenario. The Falcons at four. This one almost hurts my brain more than the last one. The, the last one really just comes down to how good do you think either of these quarterbacks are, right? This one is a completely different fundamental question. <laughs> this one is, if you're the Atlanta Falcons, are you going for it or are you planning for the future? The going for pick and the one I, well, actually, let me let me go the other way. The, the, the future play is taking the quarterback here. You've got 35-year-old Matt Ryan as your quarterback. Um, you know, look, as we see with Tom Brady, these guys can go on for a lot longer. We've got 38-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick here. So it's not like, I, I don't, you know, Matt, I mean, Matt Ryan is not at his MVP level, but he's, you know, still a good quarterback. Even though Atlanta was obviously bad enough that they got the fourth pick. Um, they also just, they also just restructured his contract to the point that the next two years, not, uh, not this year, the next two years, he's got cap, dead cap money of over $40 million in each year. So it doesn't feel like he's going anywhere. On the other hand, the Falcons kind of hope that they're not in this. Oh, so by the way, so if you're if you're in the position, oh yeah, so oh let me get going. They also don't want to be in this position again where they're picking fourth. They hope that they rebound. They have a new coach and a new GM. Um, therefore, maybe you take advantage of the fact that you're picking fourth, get the quarterback of the future, so you don't have to do this again because it's hard to get a quarterback as we know, and go from there. I, I cannot. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do, but I just cannot accept that they wouldn't go for it, meaning try with Matt Ryan and all that, especially with the dead cap money situation. So I went here with Kyle Pitts. I actually don't really like any of these options for Atlanta in terms of like what they need. Like Kyle Pitts looks like he's out a revolutionary tight end, but they have Hayden Hurst. They have Julio Jones. They have Calvin Ridley. Like that's not an area that they really need more. If this was, hey, Washington, this would be a much more of a no-brainer. But on the other hand, I don't know really like none of like there's no good defensive players at this point. They really don't even need a tackle like Penny Sewell. Same thing with the receivers. I just went with Kyle Pitts. It just felt like based on everything you're hearing that he's the best guy at this spot and you know could be a, a generational talent there. So I I went Pitts over the quarterback. But I'm curious, like for you, I do really think this is a really fascinating question. Do you go with the quarterback or of the future, or do you go with somebody right now to help the the, the pieces that you have? So. This is kind of breaking my brain too, because to me, I don't like a tight end is probably not worth a top five pick. But then you watch Kyle Pitts play, and he's the best player on the field. 
And I've seen the argument made that if you take quarterbacks out of the draft, he's the number one player and it may not be close. He is that good at tight end. And I, 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 I'm kind of with you. I think the Falcons should go for it with Matt Ryan. The cap situation is what it is. And it's because it's that bad. It, to me, it doesn't make any sense to waste two years on a rookie deal for a quarterback just for them to sit. Uh, that just doesn't happen anymore. I guess they could do it with Trey Lance if they're confident they, they could groom him. But even still, like, they could – I don't, I don't want to say they can win a Super Bowl. They can't just off of a tight end. But they could be a very good offense again with Kyle Pitts. And then if they hit later in the draft on some other things, they could be in a, you know, playoff position. In a, in a sport that we see all the time, teams go from the bottom to the top fairly quickly and I'm not talking about Washington being projected to finish last and get, winning the division at seven and nine. But, you know, if I said to you, Hey, in at the end of the year, the, the team with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Arthur Smith as coach, uh, you know, a team that was at, was in the super bowl, not that long ago. There's other guys on the team who were there that that team has rebounded to make the playoffs. And if you make the playoffs at that point, you know, who, who knows, you know, who knows? Yeah. I don't think that would be insane. Right. I, I don't think that's like a, a crazy pick. Plus, up there in a the division, Matt uh, Drew Brees just retired. Uh, you know, Carolina is trying to figure out what they're doing. Obviously, Tampa Bay is the team to beat. But you know, I, I, I would be I would assume that the Saints come in second. But you know, who knows if Jameis Winston and, and Taysom Hill are the quarterbacks? I, I don't know. So that's why it feels like well, if you add this piece, again, it's it's probably not the ideal spot. But so anyway, so I, I guess we're both on the same page. I just unless I hear something else, I just don't get why you would do that i would especially in look i don't want to compare the pandemic world we're in to this but we've just kind of looked we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow and if you're taking a quarterback you're basically planning for two to three years out not even next season at least in the niners case we're saying keep garoppolo have a quarterback that's next year this is like beyond that with matt ryan's contract so i'm saying i mean there is of course the trade down scenario i just didn't really you know factor that in because the trade down is not easy for them Carolina desperately, it seems like, wants to trade up. There is no way in hell the Falcons are trading in the division for a team to get a quarterback. That's not happening. The Broncos at nine, maybe. But like, yeah. if it's not them, I don't know who else is trading up within reason for Atlanta to say, well, we'll trade down and still get you know, one of the top players. So I kind of feel like they're kind of in a spot where they're going to have to make a pick. And, um, I, I, yeah, I think Kyle Pitts makes – just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I agree with you. To me, it's not really Kyle Pitts or a quarterback. It's Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase. And it kind of comes down to if you think Julio Jones is going to be healthy this year, then go Kyle Pitts. And if you aren't sure about his health, then go Jamar Chase. And I'm also with you. Like, there's no way they trade with the Panthers. So it's either going to be the Broncos, maybe the Patriots, but would you really want to drop down to 15 i don't right. the, the trade value would have to be like what the nets gave up for james harden right yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> it would have to be a lot for them to drop all the way down i mean i guess depending on what position like it you know if they're if, if in their head they're like well we really want most as a i don't know pit boy. Yeah. there's more defensive players going to go after the top 10 so maybe if there's something a position they want you know but yes even still that it's 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 it doesn't make a lot of sense but that this is definitely a pivot point for sure because i do think if a quarterback doesn't go here, you look at the next picks, 
the Bengals will get to them in a second. They've got a quarterback in Joe Burrow. You get to the Dolphins at six. Look, they could they were just at three. If they wanted a quarterback, they would have stayed there. They're not taking a quarterback with Tua Tagovailoa. They're out. The, the Lions at seven. I don't know, maybe, but Brad Holmes, their new GM, came from the Rams and purposely brought Jared Goff over. They didn't have to take Jared Goff as part of that trade. They did because I think they want to see what he can do. Brad Holmes helped draft Jared Goff. And then again, they're not going to make a trade. Oh, I'm sorry. Then then you get to um, you, you get to the Panthers and Broncos. So the next three picks, if the quarterback doesn't go here, I, I don't know. This, I think we could see quarterback slide a little bit, but let's get to the Bengals now at five. I think this is another fascinating philosophical scenario. This the one here is different than the than the last one. The one here is basically. What do you think helps your quarterback the most to some degree protecting him or giving him a player to, to throw the ball to? Um, I think in general, I would say the, the blocking, the blocker you want. And people have said the Penny Sewell looks like a, a general generational talent in both cases. For argument's sake, we're going to say Penny Sewell and Jamar Chase from LSU both opted out last year. So we don't have any immediate tape to, to work with. I do wonder if some teams are going to hold, not hold that against the player, but if that's going to make them a little concerned as they have to evaluate, because everything is weird. But in any event that if it's head to head, we're eliminating that. But what's weird about this is, and I don't know where you're at. So with the Bengals, they spent the first round pick on Jonah Williams from Alabama a couple of years ago. He's at one tackle. They just signed Riley reef, an older veteran, the kind of guy that people here in Washington might've been like, Oh, let's bring him in. But you know, he's more stop gappy, than anything but he exists and at receiver though do you have t higgins and tyler board who i'm not it's not jerry rice but they're pretty good i mean like i had both i had tyler Boyd was on my fantasy team last year he did totally fine t higgins is a, a guy who came in as a rookie last year and did good it's not like they need a receiver but jamar chase is it better than those guys just like penny sewell is better than them so i went with penny sewell of the i'm just going with the theory i would rather focus on blocking a uh, blocking for my quarterback than worrying about the receiver. If Joe Burrow is all that, he'll make even the ordinary receivers better. But if you have no time, it doesn't matter. So you can move one of the tackles inside and go with Penny Sewell there. So that would be my thought. But what uh, what, what what say you, Mr. Fantasy Football? I'm going to guess I know where you're going to go with this. So in all seriousness, I, I would take the receiver, but I can totally see why uh, they would take Penny Sewell because – Riley Reef is not great. He's not bad. He's he's a a decent enough tackle that would be able to hold up. It, it's not like he's Mike Remmers, right? He's not he's not terrible. So I think I, I I'd be really tempted to reunite Chase with Joe Burrow. I I could see why that. Yeah, I would I would take Jamar Chase, but to me, and tell me how you feel about this. This really feels like the trade down spot where Carolina or Denver moves up, and it, I mean, obviously Atlanta's not going to trade to Carolina, so I think this is probably where Carolina moves up to get a quarterback. But if they stay, I would go, and I saw this on Twitter all day. This was a huge discussion on Twitter today was Sewell or Chase for the Bengals. And people are making very good arguments on both sides. They're making very good memes. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so many memes about an offensive tackle versus a wide receiver. I've never seen that before. 
And I also think Auden Tate is not bad at receiver, which probably doesn't help my case to draft Jamar Chase. But it, at times last year, they were running a lot of four wide receiver sets. So it, early in the season, if they're going to they're going to copy what they did at the beginning of last season and run four receiver sets, then yeah, sure. Why not get Jamar Chase and just load up at one position and just be as good as humanly possible on offense and just hope that Joe Burrow's elusiveness is enough to buy time out of the pocket. So um, all that is good here. And, and so in this case, my ideal scenario was trading down to the, the the Panthers or the Broncos because at that point, so if you trade down, that's trading down either three or four spots. You are guaranteed. So let's so the so those teams would be trading up for a quarterback, whatever whichever one it would be. Therefore, yeah. you you'd have pick six, seven, then you're either eight or nine. Therefore, you're guaranteed. You're either getting Penny Sewell, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, um, or I guess if you want to say. Uh, no, that yeah. You, I guess you want to say Smith, Devonta yeah. Smith if you want another receiver, or you yeah. can take any of the defensive backs, whatever. But like you're pretty much guaranteed to get one of those guys. So that's not a bad spot. If you do with the Panthers, it's it's either Sewell, Chase, or Waddle. You don't have to worry about the other guy. Um, yeah. I think there's an and plus you're getting other picks, all that. Here's what I actually think this pick is going to come down to. If I had to guess, it's not even it's Sewell or Chase. It's in the second round, the Bengals pick number 38 and this is a draft loaded at receiver but also it's a draft where the interior offensive line depth is not bad at that point in the draft and i think on some level it may come down because like i said they actually have two tackles in theory the yeah. guard is where they have a little bit of an issue so you yeah. could take a guard at 38 but you can also take receivers at 38 rashad Bateman from minnesota might be there i really like i really like him you've got guys uh, like uh, Tutu Atwell from, from Louisville, Elijah Moore from Mississippi. There's tons of receivers. Um, I think Todd McShay's two-round draft had like nine receivers in it, which I think somebody said if we're to happen with like would be the most receivers picked in the first two rounds since the beginning of time or something. I don't know. So I think that to me is ultimately the bigger question. Both Sewell and Chase are going to grade off the charts, but the next thing. So I would still go with Sewell, but uh, again, I if you think Chase is – all that and it, it can reunite Chase with Joe Burrow. That's not a bad thing. Um, I think that's what's going to come down to is kind of what you think in the second round. How do you maximize the situation? But it's really a fascinating one. And again, it, it, in terms of the mock draft, if Chase goes there, I don't think it changes. It doesn't alter. I'm sorry. If, if Sewell goes there, I don't think it really changes that much. If Chase goes there, I don't really know where Penny Sewell goes at that point, barring a trade up. The Chargers or the Vikings could maybe trade up. But beyond that, like, None of the immediate teams before you get to Dallas are go or overt teams to take alignment. So I, I do think that's it becomes an interesting one in terms of uh, in terms of this draft. Um, I, I don't know. We discussed the Panthers. We just sort of I guess have already done that. They basically seemingly want a quarterback. I think there's a chance that one of these guys slips to eight. Yeah, I, sure. I know people are going crazy. There could be five, you know, four the the top four or five the top five. Like I said, I don't, I don't, I mean, Atlanta's only got limited partners and the Bengals might just decide they want to take the best player because those guys are going to be pretty good. So I, I think there's a chance that somebody slips, but do we need to talk about the Panthers? I mean, to, to six is Miami, seven is the Lions. You can go look what I said there. Eight with the Panthers, do we need to discuss that or we think they're going to end up with a quarterback somehow? Yeah. I, I mean, they're going to end up with a quarterback either way. And uh, 
Trey Lance is who you have and you have him over Justin Fields, I don't it, – it's tough to kind of parse those two up because they're both winning quarterbacks in college and they both do some things very well. And I – so at the beginning of all the draft season, I was significantly higher on Justin Fields – I, I thought for sure he was going to be the number two pick. And the more and more I've heard really smart people talking about Trey Lance, they are really high on him. And um, we've had his quarterback coach, Quincy Avery, on the radio. And he said that he's the most pro-ready quarterback uh, in the draft over Trevor Lawrence. Now, not that he's going to be the best quarterback, but – He's been running the quarterback room at North Dakota State since he was a freshman. He, you know, uh, does game plan stuff. He is in charge of the huddle. He is in charge of all the audibles. He's in charge of everything. And I can see how coaches would really, really, really like that and think that there are some flaws in his, uh, I mean, he's only played, what, 14 games, 15 games. So people aren't going to be that happy with the fact that he hasn't played a ton. But if he's doing all of that and he's in charge of the quarterback room, they can just say, well, I mean, he's doing this every week. And I, I don't know. I, I, I can see why people really like Trey Lance and they have sold me on him. So now that I think he's going to be really good too. And obviously all five of these guys are going to be really good, but if he's the most pro ready, I could see going him over Justin Fields. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's more hit or miss variables of these quarterbacks than like in the, than the public conversation allows in talking to people. Like I had somebody even say with like Zach Wilson, I think our, our film guy at the athletic also uh, said something similar in what he wrote and he's going to, and, and I think with Trey Lance, it's an unprecedented evaluation as people have said, because of how limited he's played and he's coming from North Dakota State, which is obviously from a competition level. They, they've obviously had players, including Carson Wentz, come up, but still, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big jump. And uh, you know, I, I do think for Trey Lance, Carolina is a much better situation than Denver because I do think he needs to sit. And Carolina does have Teddy Bridgewater. Now Denver has uh, Drew Locke, but that doesn't, you know, I don't know that uh, Drew Locke has not proven himself to be much yet. I think Denver's hope is. So I think Denver is also subtly in this quarterback thing that nobody's talked about. Denver as the ninth pick. I mean, they've talked about it, but I think Denver would like to have brought somebody in to give push Drew Locke, and then they didn't do anything. They didn't add the Ryan Fitzpatrick or an Andy Dalton or anybody or, or even a, a Tyrod Taylor. So I do kind of wonder if they're going to do something, and, and I do have Dustin Fields going uh, there. Um, Dustin Fields feels like he makes way more sense to Denver so he can push Drew Locke out of the gate. Right. Whereas you're right with Trey Lance, where he can just sit behind Teddy Bridgewater for a year. Um, let's get to pick 11, the New York football giants. Uh, obviously, New York made a bunch of moves sort of late in free agency with Kenny Galladay and Azori Jackson in particular. Uh, you know, I, I think they're, you know, sort of like Washington. I, mean, I think they're, um, you know, interesting for next year. Hard to know exactly what to make of them, but if you told me that they – finish over 500, I mean, or the, around 500, maybe a little bit better. You know, it's possible, but a lot's going to depend on Daniel Jones, obviously, and how he developed. Um, in a perfect world, they would take a receiver here because I think I a lot of the mock drafts don't. I think at least one, if not two, of the receivers are going to be here. If all the quarterbacks push up, 
I mean, I don't, you know, I, I NFL teams don't take receivers high. We go through this all again. And yeah, you have people keep one half, three players go. I mean, not to pick on McShay, but he had a recent one. He had Penny Sewell going 13 with all the receivers going ahead of him. I mean, I've talked to NFL people who can't understand how that's remotely possible. So to me, at least one receiver is going to be here at 11, but I think it's possible too. And even though the Giants have taken, um, you know, they, they got Galladay, they, they have um, Sterling Shepard, you know, they have receivers. I think it's conceivable they could take one. Now I'm not taking, I'm not giving them a receiver here. They also last year took Andrew Thomas in the first round at the fourth pick. They still have Nate Solder um, at right tackle. It doesn't necessarily, and they also took other offensive linemen last year. Um, they really need most as a defensive end, a pass rusher. But if you look at the public boards, there's really not one that is typically going off in this range. So I think this is a team that could be a trade down candidate. But if we're talking about them staying put, um, I I went with Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, who, again, not going to lie and pretend I've broken down tape of the offensive lineman. But, you know, when talking to people who have or who watch the player, they, I have one scout say he's about as technically sound as any offensive lineman he's he's covered like that you could feel comfortable playing him but really any of the five positions along the line and feel pretty good and that's my thing with the Giants I think you help Daniel Jones here again with protection if you need to you start him at guard year one and you see if Andrew Thomas who struggled last year continues to struggle you can move him outside Nate Solder may only be there for one more year you can move uh, Slater outside um, if there was a pass rusher I would say go that route and this is like I said trading down could make sense especially if a quarterback where to slip or maybe a team wants a receiver if they're still there. But I think Slater at 11. And I guess my, my fundamental question to you is if you, you, is there a, I don't have the pass rushers going until later. Is there a pass rusher that you think is maybe underrated that you think would be worth here? Or is that what I did kind of make sense? Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think any of the pass rushers make any sense here, but I'm also with you on the fact that, Slater's versatility along the offensive line. And again, I'm not going to pretend I'm an offensive lineman guru. I'm not. I've heard what other smart people say, and I agree with them that Slater could play guard or tackle. And again, they don't necessarily need a tackle, so he could play at guard. And then if uh, Thomas is a bust or Solder, they move on from him he could play a tackle there. So to me, that makes the most sense. It's going with Slater at number 11. So let's just say for arguments. So Devontae Smith is still on the board. Uh, Jalen Waddle could be here too. If you're the Giants, are you at all tempted to take one of these guys? Or is there no way considering you just gave Galladay all that money and you have some other receivers already? I kind of like their receiving core. Uh, I like Galladay a lot. And they obviously paid him like they like him a lot. And Sterling Shepard moving back to the slot is his more natural position. And Darius Slayton was pretty good last year. I feel like people kind of slept on how good he was, despite Daniel Jones's struggles. And he he was pretty good. I I, I wouldn't take a receiver. I I would be tempted with Devonta Smith there, but I'd probably still go offensive. For now, I'm going offensive line over receiver. And I guess the only reason I would mention is because I'm, I, I, you know, I don't have a personal big board because I've not got the, the tape work that these guys have, but people who do, they have all these receivers somewhere like in their top five or six prospects. So if you're saying now at 11, if you believe that, well, from a value standpoint, that's not bad, but I agree with you just on the basic fundamental level, by the way, as a complete aside, 
this, the commercial that just came on TV. I mentioned this on Twitter the other day. It's the uh, Capital One with Charles Barkley, Samuel Jackson, and Spike Lee. It's the one where Charles Barkley is driving and he goes, okay, we're here. We're at the, the, uh, the Annapolis and we're side of the Final Four. And Samuel Jackson's like, no, dummy. It's, you know, we're not in the Indianapolis. It, this is Annapolis. But my question is, does Charles Barkley think that they were driving, that the Final Four was actually being in Annapolis? It was in, in Annapolis. He drove there. And if, but what, what, what is their problem? Were they asleep the whole time? My How question. Do they, were they driving? Are they asleep the entire time they got in the car? Did he drive from wherever? I don't know if they're coming from New York. They're driving from New York to Maryland. And they don't know? Questions. There's so many questions I have about this commercial, and I hate it so much. <laughs> People call it the Annapolis. They don't. They don't call it the Annapolis. I've lived in Maryland my entire life. I've never called it the Annapolis. So if somebody said in the Annapolis, I would assume you were a crazy person. So there's no reason anyone would ever in think. In the Annapolis, that's what it is, right? Right. There's no way you would ever confuse Indianapolis and Annapolis, because why would anyone call it the Annapolis? Right. And, so and I get that Barkley could be stupid, but like, I just think they are so indignant about it but i'm like wait you guys are in the car what right. what have you what what, what, are, where do you, where did you think you were going were you were you wearing an eye mask all the time? it's dusk were you asleep during the day for eight hours right i mean even, like, you were in maryland right and also like if you were driving why are you why are they driving yeah clearly right. they could get a private plane and even if they were you're driving from new york to indianapolis there's so many questions here it makes no this whole commercial makes no sense i, I hate I, it so much. I like, I'm fine with the conceit. This, 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 this one in particular, I, like I, I get making fun of Barkley. It's fun, but like this one in particular, I'm like, wait a minute. I think these, these other two guys are getting off. This getting is off too easy. Apple one. You've done it this time. <laughs> um, all right. So we'll skip down here to 15 to New England. We don't have to spend too much time here. I just think that New England, they are the team that if the quarterbacks do slide a little bit, I just think it just makes too much sense to trade up. Look, at, at this point, Bill Belichick, Look, he's of a certain age. You have no idea how much longer he's going to want to keep going. But he, you know, who knows? But he could go on forever. But like, you know, figure because he's on the back nine of his career somewhere. They're coming off the bad year. They just went crazy money in free agency. Now, obviously, I don't think, as I said before, a rookie quarterback coming in is not likely to become the starter for a team that goes deep into the playoff. But if it's a Bill Belichick team, they did just add a bunch of pieces on both sides of the ball. Maybe it's conceivable. Plus, you do still have Cam Newton to help, whatever. Um, I just feel like that's a team to move up um, and, and to make a play on a quarterback if if they start to slide. Of all the teams, I think, to me, it does just make the most sense. I, that If I'm New England, forget what you would pick if you stay at 15. I, that's just the move I would make. Uh, I was just thinking about this as you were saying it. Uh, if the Bengals traded back to, say, Carolina or Denver, that would be a prime place for the Patriots to move up again. Uh, or the Bengals to move down again and just stack more picks. And then they could probably still get a receiver that fell uh, or just if they like Rashad Bateman or Kadarius Tony or somebody like that, they could take them there or one of the tackles. So to me, that seems like a great location for the Bengals to look uh, for the Patriots. I'm, I'm with you. I don't know what they're going to do. And nothing really seems to make sense. Like you have Micah Parsons going to the Patriots and it seems like a great pick. I like Micah Parsons a lot. He's 
probably if uh you know you looked at a lot of people's big boards he's probably a top 10 player but like i some sometimes i I wonder about like positional value versus like where the tipping point is like a a linebacker like micah parsons should he be a a top 15 pick maybe i I don't know like linebacker just it's it's very important in the NFL and it also doesn't seem important at all. Like you shouldn't spend on it. So it's like safety. I, I, I don't know. Like th- this is where really smart NFL people make decisions on how good a player is at a position that's not totally valuable and how to value that person. And I'm not good at that, but I, I think Micah Parsons is really good. And if they think he's the 15th pick, it makes sense to me. It's sort of like Brandon Sheriff at guard. I'm not talking about the franchise tag, but would you take a guard fifth overall? Of course no, not. Never. But if the guard, if I told you that the guard is going to become a four-time Pro Bowler, put the injuries aside, four-time Pro Bowler, a locker room leader, that type of thing, be like, all right, well, like if I'm guaranteeing this, like, you know, w- w- I agree, of course, at the end of the day, you don't want to, right there is that there is positional value but also you do need to get talent and players and you can't guarantee where those will come from so you have to take advantage of that but i'm with you i mean linebacker is not necessarily an ideal value but if you think the player like obviously there are there are linebackers that make differences right so that's the question there and speaking of let's jump down to number 19 to the washington football team and obviously to make this we have to sort of go through a few things here i think the two big needs Look, they could do a few different things. I think the two big needs are within reason, again, on this board, offensive tackle. I agree, Trevor Lawrence. Good pick. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That would be amazing. Wow. Totally slide. Uh, Offensive tackle and linebacker. Uh, You could could put free safety in here too, but, um, you know, I I think offensive tackle and linebacker. And to your point before about premium positions, offensive tackle is one of those where – like, you know, Trent Williams just got paid an insane amount of money. You obviously need to have one. The, the better your line is, the better your chance for your offense to succeed. And Washington, as we know, does not have, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is totally fine and could be really interesting, but he's not Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, you need to protect as much as possible. And obviously, you know, though it's not just about protecting the quarterback. It's opening lanes in the, in the run game. And Cornelius Lucas was solid last year over the second half of the year. But I think there's definitely room to grow and I think it would make sense to take one problem based on my board is the top four tackles including Christian Darris out from Virginia Tech are all off the board and I think that's I mean obviously I did it so I think it's a real a real possibility um, but I but I think that is now what do you so could you take another tackle here you could and I think there will be other ones who go in the first round but the one that's probably most considered to be the next one Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State from what I gather is considered to be more of a right tackle and you have Morgan Moses. You're not moving him to the left side. I know he played two games last year in a pinch, but that's not the plan. So I think you go to plan B, which is, well, it's, it's linebacker slash. Is there something else to, to do? I think the linebackers here at this point are pretty interesting. Jeremiah Uso Karamoa. Uh, I, I think he's a fascinating player, but I, I don't, I don't know quite what he is. He's a guy you have to have a plan for. And I don't know what he is either way. He's off the board in this thing. And so I went with uh, a guy who's become pretty trendy, Jamin Davis from Kentucky. 
Um, he just blew up his pro day, which I don't even think he makes it is even remotely interesting at this point. Everybody's blowing up their pro day. Has anybody had a bad pro day yet? <laughs> uh, Mac Jones threw an incompletion. What's that? Mac Jones threw one incompletion. Sure, right. right. Everybody runs a sub four four forty or something really low for what their weight, what their size <laughs> is. Um, in any event, Jamin Davis, I, look, this is a scenario. And I think based on this scenario, if, you know, look, I think trading down would make sense, obviously, in, in this case. But here's where we're at. If you're going to make a pick, the, the football team has a really strong defensive line. That's not breaking news. Their linebacking core was pretty weak. And I know Ron Rivera the other day when he talked to us on Thursday said that he had been harsh on the linebackers last year, but now he's he thought they played better late in the year. He was talking up Cole Holcomb and Don Bostic to a degree. They haven't gone out and done anything else really at this point. I think to me it signals they're going to get linebackers in this draft. I won't be surprised if they take two, in fact. That's what I had in my uh, Washington only mock draft. So we can debate here. Is it Jamin Davis? Is it um, Zayvon Collins from Tulsa? What would you do if Uso Karamoa is there? Um, and so on. But um, to me, all things being equal, I think linebacker makes the most sense, even though as we discussed before, maybe it's not a premium position, but they need one. And I think Rivera, who had Luke Kuechly and Thomas Davis in Carolina, I think he wants one. So if there's no offensive tackles, I went linebacker. Are you a uh, – did you watch lots of Kentucky football last year? I watched one Kentucky football game last year. Uh, it was one too many. Uh, that offense was garbage. Uh, Tim Katz wasn't there. Uh, <laughs> uh, honestly, you, and – I, I'm fine with Jamin Davis. Uh, people have been like really, really high on him and mo- having him move up into even higher spots than you have him at 19. Uh, I, I I, still think they have a needed receiver. Adam Humphreys has not a great injury history lately. Um, Curtis Samuel is a guy you have to scheme targets for. They, they used him as a downfield receiver in 2019 and he wasn't efficient at all. I think he's more efficient going out of the slot. And I, I mean, Adam Humphreys isn't going to be out wide. Uh, I I would go Rashad Bateman, the receiver out of Minnesota. I'm, I know you mentioned that you liked him earlier, and I, I know you don't think that's a need. Uh, they kind of have to go all in with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I can think of no better way than getting – a X receiver who is very, very, very good. And I know he didn't put up great numbers at Minnesota this year and Minnesota ran really rush heavy with Ibrahim and they used him in the slot, which was not his natural position a lot, but it's where they moved their best receiver. They did the same thing with Tyler Johnson last year. I I really like Rashad Bateman and I'm with you that Davis is probably going to be the a fairly good pick at 19 for Washington. And I'm with you that I wouldn't take Tevin Jenkins uh, just because right tackle doesn't seem like a huge need, but man, I'm really tempted by Rashad Bateman. And I know other people like Kadarius Tony, but give me Bateman, please. So um, just to start over this conversation, like somebody might be going, wait, why, why, why is Brendan Dar on here? The the producer from uh, former Grant and Danny producer, also a former or current producer with Kevin Sheehan over at 980. 
Like what, what, why is he, why are we talking to him? Well, here's why we're talking to him. So for years, when I worked at NBC sports, Washington doing uh, freelance stuff and I had no life, I would show up, I think prim- primarily Fridays was, was the deal. Yeah. And Brendan would be there uh, doing some uh, freelance work. And because neither one of us really were uh, focused on working too hard, we would sit and talk about whatever, whatever was happening in sports. And like, that was the whole deal of that place is whoever was in the bullpen talking about sports. And no offense to people that were there, but like, you know, half those people didn't know what they were talking about. And I say half, I'm really mean like 85%. Uh, so, uh, uh, but, uh, sorry, but anyway, but like some people did and Brendan was somebody that I thought did, uh, and I enjoyed talking to him. So, uh, so anyway, my point of me saying that is I love Rashad Bateman. I Rashad Bateman. I really do. I last year, like before the, before the season started and I was doing like some draft thoughts like hey who are some people to pay attention to whatever and Bateman was the name that came up so I started to pay attention and I really like him he's got you know he's got I love the route runners right I mean speed is a lot of course but you know just like with basketball you can have a lot of athleticism but if you don't actually how to play the game it's only going to go so far Bateman has that um, and he ran a pretty good time in the 40 here again. I don't know how serious we're taking that, but it was right. a 4-3-8. Right. I don't know how to take seriously any of these times, but okay. Um, I just, I, 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 people here have heard me say this when we were talking during free agency. I just have a fundamental issue building my team around too many receivers if, in terms of putting in a lot of assets. You're already going to have to pay Terry McLaurin here in the relatively near future. You just gave Curtis Samuel a good deal. And a first round pick on top of that, just from that aspect alone would be a lot. If you told me they took a receiver somewhere on day two, that would still be something, but okay. I guess I would just also say that I agree with you that it's still a question, but I feel like I have a decent amount of lottery tickets. You mentioned Adam Humphreys. Injuries have been an issue, but he's done stuff before. Cam Sims came on late last season and he's got really great size. He, you know, he's, his issue has been consistency, but we'll see maybe at the end of the last year, he started to figure something out. They spent a fourth round pick last year on Gandy Golden. Who the hell knows? I have no idea. I don't know if they know what to make of him right now either, but okay, you have that. Kelvin Harmon's coming back from injury. I get it. He was a sixth round pick. I'm not going crazy, but I, I think they like him. The, his blocking was a pretty good deal. I, I really liked him coming out of NC State, and you know, I think he showed some things. And then you, you, know, you have your Steven Sims, your Isaiah Wrights, and like I said, you still have other picks. I just think they have enough love of lottery tickets. I would rather spend the assets elsewhere but again i really like the player you're saying Kadarius tony once they got samuel i don't think you can take tony that's like right. the same I kind agree. of guy so i like bateman i just for me personally like my view of how building a football team i just couldn't take another re- or add another receiver having already spent what i spent on the position my my only fear is if you're thinking about getting a lot uh later receiver a lot of the receivers that are going to be going in the second, third, and fourth round are going to be the slot guys. Right. Well, so, like your Jalen Darden's out of North Texas, Rondale Moore out of Purdue. All those guys are more slot guys. And Bateman's kind of the last of the X receivers. So, like, I, there's uh, another guy I'm forgetting. Um, well, Nico Collins from Michigan yes, is a, a day two guy who's got a lot of yeah. size. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess, like, if you're not – taking Bateman, uh, Nico Collins could be a guy in like the second round for Washington. Yeah. But I mean, I, like I said, for me personally, I mean, like yeah. if we're going to assume six receivers make the team, you already have McLaurin, you have Samuel, you have Humphreys, you have Cam Sims. I'm going to assume Gandy Golden makes the team. And I still have all those other guys. And I'm not saying all those other guys yeah. are all I that. Have, I, just, I just feel like I have some options and that that for me, I'm going to roll the dice with those options. 
Yeah, Washington Washington is not thin at receiver, but at the same time, not good. I like, <laughs> after the top two guys, it's it's, it's a lot of unknowns. Yeah, so like we, we take a lot of calls on who you know callers like, and callers are really high on Kelvin Harmon, and I I don't get it at all. He's a nice player. He is kind of slow. He's maybe a decent fourth receiver down the line not this year he's not healthy and people do the same thing with cam sims come on cam sims is not a number two or number three receiver like a lot of people i i i still got some i got cam sims stock i i i like Harmon, but i like him as the fourth receiver what's that you should sell the Cam Sims stock and buy Rashad Bateman. Stock. Oh, I, I'm buying Bateman. I, 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 look, if you want to know what who I like in this draft, go f- see which player starts I followed on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I have followed him on Twitter or at least Instagram or something, um, because I'm interested in like some of these guys. No, I, I really do like Bateman, and like if somehow like you know they were to either trade down or he's there in the second round, I, I wouldn't have an issue. I just, it's like it doesn't it's even not matter. Gonna, they're, they're not going to take Bateman at 19. I I, I know they're not going to take Bateman at 19. I just want them to do it yeah. because as we saw last year, Rivera went all in when he easily could have just tanked and went for a top five pick. He went all in with Alex Smith and it feels like he's going all in again with Fitzpatrick. So what better way to go all in than getting another receiver that could really help the offensive lot? Cause there's no tight end here. They're not taking Pat Fryermuth here. So, I mean, it's not like any of the, if there was a tack, if Darisaw fell or Rashawn Slater fell and even Vera Tucker, if any of them fell to 19, I'm totally with you on not taking a receiver. But to me, it's tackle, wide receiver, 50 feet, linebacker. Yeah. That, that is the stat nerd coming out. And I know, I'm aware. I, it's insufferable. I know. Well, I mean, look, the, the, the reality is this, that looking ahead, looking down the line at this draft in day two, there will be other linebackers that are pretty interesting. There's a couple guys out of Ohio state, including Pete Warner. I mentioned him previously. I don't know what they think of Dylan Moses from Alabama. He's had an injury history, but he could be a guy, Jabril Cox from LSU. Like they're, they're linebackers. You don't have to take one at 19 to get a linebacker. Um, yeah. I think there are some other positions where like, you know, like if you, if, the one position that's the weakest is probably defensive line. I don't think they're going to take one in the first round. Uh, no. I would hope not, <laughs> at least. Um, so um, they don't have to take one. It could go sort of best player available. And for what it's worth, you know, some people think Trayvon Morig, uh, the safety from TCU, is not just the best free safety, but one of the top 20 players and kind of a cut above other safeties. You could make the argument take that guy there from just the positional value they need free safety they've already invested a lot in the secondary but that's a position they do need to upgrade still then on day two you can still get an offensive tackle that's pretty deep linebackers are there wide receivers we just mentioned so you can still get all three of the positions we just discussed on day two and take a safety or you know the proverbial best player available and again other than defensive line they could take almost any position and i wouldn't think that would be uh criminally insane so I, I think like i said i think ideally in my world one of those tackles slips that's that i think solves a lot of problems and if not then it becomes more of a game but i do think rivera wants a linebacker and they're you know arguably if not the best player is linebacker close enough some of these linebackers are there are going to be um 
are going to be interesting. Um, so I can get you back to watching this basketball game. Let's jump through it towards the, uh, towards the end here. Um, the Ravens, I'm sure we got some people here who are into that team at 27. Um, the Ravens still need a wide receiver. It's amazing how a team that, that drafts well every year, them in New England, they can never figure out for some reason how to get a receiver. Um, they still need, they still need more. They do have Marquise Brown, but they need more there. And like, you know, look, in my world, Bateman, we talked about is still there a bunch of other guys, but boy, almost because of their history, I just, can't, I'm almost like saving them from themselves. Um, I kind of went best player available. Uh, and I went with Zayvon Collins from Tulsa, uh, you know, a guy who's got like strength to play up near the line of scrimmage, but he's got, uh, and size to do that, but he's got speed to, to, you know, to play in the back seven as well. The, the Ravens, I think could use a little something in that middle tier. So that's what I went with, but they could go with uh, the middle of the offensive line, and take a guy like Landon Dickerson um, from Alabama. We mentioned the wide receiver. If you wanted a, a pass rusher, they could do that. They could go in a lot of different directions. And that's why I think from like a pivot standpoint, this is a team where it's not like you're picking this player or that player. It's like, are you picking this position or that position? So that's where I went. Um, I do wonder, Brendan, do you think there's something to this argument of apparently it looks like they're struggling to get free agents to show up in Baltimore because of I guess if you want to say it's on not so much about Lamar Jackson but receivers are not putting up big stats in that offense and obviously for all kinds of reasons that's important that maybe because they seemingly can't get a free agent receiver they got Sammy Watkins but that was they didn't get Juju Smith-Schuster they didn't get some other guys do they almost take receiver in the first round just because they can't get one at least it ensures that they get somebody who maybe turns into that level yeah uh so before I, I talk about receiver, I just do want to give one Zaven Collins take. Sure. Uh, I watched more Tulsa football than I would like to admit uh, <laughs> last year because of financial reasons. Yes. And uh, a lot of the time when I'm watching college football games with like a DFS sweat or money on it, I'm really only paying attention to the offense. Zaven Collins made me pay attention to him on defense. He's that good. So to me, that's a great pick. Uh, I know they took Patrick Queen uh, at linebacker last year. Maybe you don't want to go linebacker, linebacker, back-to-back years. But the Ravens, the fact that they couldn't get Juju Smith-Schuster and they offered that much money, the one place Lamar Jackson like actually throws the football consistently is over the middle of the field. That's where that dude excels. And he just didn't want to go there. And I'm sure there were, you know, reasons uh, beyond the monetary for why he didn't go there. But it doesn't, uh, like, if there was one guy who was going to stand out in that offense, I, I get why Kenny Galladay maybe didn't want to go there. Smith Schuster would be great in Baltimore's offense. Do you think, like, to go from that team to that team, that would just be too much of a, Per, like the, the the vitriol, the hate that would be coming from the Steelers fan base. The, if the fans already hate him, who cares? The the the, the Steelers fans that they're out on Juju. I I feel like it. I mean, I I follow like a bunch on Twitter, unfortunately, <laughs> and they none of them seem like they like Juju Smith Schuster. They think he dances too much and does TikTok too much. Like I, I don't know, man. He's like twenty two years old still. He's so young. He's younger than Terry McLaurin. Um, but I, I, if I'm the Ravens, I'm with you. I go receiver. Rashad Bateman, Terrence Marshall, 
one of the two of them. Just line them up across from Hollywood and is Willie Sneed, 40-year-old Willie Sneed still going to be in the slot or is it going to be Devin Duvernay finally? <laughs> right. I mean, my basic, my ba- I should have probably said this earlier, but my basic philosophy has kind of been when I think that there are multiple ways to go and receiver is one of them, I just kind of waited because there is the depth. But obviously, yeah. yes, at some point you have to take somebody. We both said we really like Bateman. And like in my head, I think Bateman would work really well uh, w- w- with that team. So that would be a, a good way to go. I mentioned interior offensive line, I think is something to consider as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just almost couldn't give the Ravens a receiver because of just how things have not worked out for them. Maybe I wanted Bateman to work and didn't want to give them to him because somehow it's the, if he goes there, it won't work. Long term, he's thanking you for not putting him in Baltimore. <laughs> um, let's jump to the Bills at thirty because you mentioned your uh, you know your, your DFS and, and and fantasy reasons, and, and this is where I think maybe we get the first running back off the board. So let me ask you this: so Najee Harris from Alabama, Travis Etienne from um from clemson and you've got uh i'm blanking on the kid the north carolina running back uh, uh javante williams javante Mike williams Clark. sorry i couldn't think um i was thinking roy williams I'm like that can't be right uh what i don't know if, if, if you have you know like one better i mean it feels like Najee harris is the better is the one who goes first but some people have said etn either way like the bills they did such a good job this offseason of bringing back all their all their key players, all of them on somewhat team friendly deals. I mean, they got paid, but they didn't like go overboard. I think it really shows a lot about what that place is about. But they they did everything they did last year with Josh Allen and, and Stefan Diggs. The running game though was kind of lagging. I, I'm not always a big fan of taking running back in the first round, but we're basically at the end. And it does feel like if this if there's a team that's going to do it, this one just makes a lot of sense. So I went with Najee Harris, but basically, do you you know? Depending on what, what list you look at, you could go Harris or ETN or kind of interchangeable. Uh, which one would you have gone with? Uh, I like them both a lot. So uh, I would – Travis ETN would probably be my number one running back on the board, and I would take him here. But for the Bills, they do a, a lot of analytically sound stuff, and – I'm with you on not wanting to take a running back in the first round. And I almost wonder if maybe because of the way they run things, maybe they wouldn't go running back here, but at the same time, like they've taken Devin Singletary and Zach Moss on day two back-to-back years. And to use a first round pick on Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, either one, it kind of feels like it doesn't feel right. But at the same time, they couldn't use both of them well last year. So maybe just fix it by drafting a running back that can do everything. And they really didn't seem to trust Singletary at times last year. And at the same time, Zach Moss fumbled and then he barely played for an entire game. So why not just fix that situation and take Najee Harris or Travis Etienne? I'd go Etienne, but either one, they're really good. Like earlier when we talked about San Francisco and I was saying, I don't quite get why San Francisco would potentially turn over its season to a rookie quarterback when if you believe with everybody coming back from injuries, they're going to be one of the teams contending in the NFC. Um, Because of a a rookie quarterback, you can't realistically expect a lot to help early. That is not the case at running back. And if you tell me that one of these guys comes in and does what a rookie running back can do on top of everything Buffalo's already has – well, I mean, I'm not saying that like that puts them over the top on Kansas City, but now what are you doing? Now, if you have a running back who's this dual threat, who can, you know, be 
whatever, 1,200 yards on the ground or, you know, you know, catch 40 passes, whatever the stat lines you want to come up with on top of Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and everything else they have. I think like, it feels like that's a position where they could really improve at a key area and help out a lot in ways that other teams can't just automatically do that. So that's why I kind of do like running back for them, even though you're right. I mean, their team that has done in recent years, taking running backs later, because that is kind of what I would do in a general sense. But if the board works out this way that these guys are there, I, I think it, it, it does kind of make sense both as a now play as well as, you know, having a, a good running back um, going forward. Um, we, can, we don't have to go through the Chiefs and the Bucks. If you want to check out all the picks, you can go to The Athletic. Um, and uh, as I said in the intro, if you go today, Monday, whatever time is left in this day, I believe we still have a deal. You can get it for a dollar a month. I think it's for the first six months. After Monday, though, it's back to the regular price, but there's still discounts you can find um, as well. Before we let you go, Brendan, and go back to watching this game, any I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts about Washington's uh, – I, I don't know. You, you know, you're, you're on the front lines with, with the radio. you have any uh, thoughts on Washington's situation broadly here beyond the draft or anything else in the draft that you think because of what's happened for agency that you're kind of looking forward to? Uh, just broadly speaking, I – want to get out of the first two days with a offensive lineman and a wide receiver. And I don't really care a whole lot else that happens. Oh, wait, are you team uh, quarterback? They need to, they, they need to slash no. will draft one or no. Somebody was talking about them taking Kellen Mond in the second round. And I just. McShay had that in his uh, mock draft. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Brian Wilson also had them. I believe it was, he either had, Mond is his sixth best quarterback or had Washington taking them. Kevin was talking to him on Thursday and I, it, it's, I've heard arguments about Mond being in a bad offense at uh, Texas A&M and watching them last year, like their offense wasn't creative. It wasn't very good. I wouldn't want him. There's only one mid round quarterback. I really like, and I generally don't like drafting quarterbacks. I want to in the first round, or later as a developmental guy. But if there's one guy I'm going to take in the mid rounds this year, it would be Jamie Newman out of Georgia slash Wake Forest. Um, he was, he was really good in 2019 and he obviously opted out last year and uh, Stetson Bennett or whatever the dude's name was that filled in for him the first half of the year before JT Daniels was cleared at Georgia was a disaster. He was so bad. And, uh, like if Jamie Newman were there I and he played last year, I'm pretty sure we're talking about him ahead of Mac Jones. Uh, he was, he was that good at Wake Forest at, at a time at a school where you're not expecting great quarterback play. And uh, they had some pretty good receivers there. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't want a mid round quarterback. If they take one in like the sixth round. Okay, cool. Um, they're just, it seems like a wasted pick. Like the odds of a mid-round quarterback being Kirk Cousins, because Tom Brady was a late quarterback, and it's basically Kirk Cousins and Russell Wilson, and that's it. I, I don't want a round two quarterback. I don't want a round three quarterback. If they take Jamie Newman, I think he's got the talent to be a very good player. He he feels like a Russell Wilson forgotten guy. And other than that, I just want a tackle, a wide receiver maybe a tight end like i i feel like this isn't a good tight end draft but i feel like there are never really good tight end drafts anymore 
Um, after Kyle Pitts, I mean, Hunter Long, Pat Fryermuth. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, every, everybody here has heard me talk about the quarterback situation that I don't think they're going to take one because they already have three guys that, are, you know, that there's reason to believe that Ron Rivera likes them. But even beyond that, just to the point of this team and where they're at right now, if you think Ryan Fitzpatrick is the answer for this year, right? They still need to get one long term. There's no argument. But if you believe that day, day two players are viewed as starters, if not high in rotation, somewhat immediately. So let's just for argument's sake, say you take left tackle at 19. And on day two, you get a linebacker, you get a free safety. And I let's just say a tight end. I agree. It's not a great crap, but let's just say you get a tight end. Uh, what, how, what holes do we even, are we even talking about at this point in terms of the starting lineup? The secondary would be stocked all over the place. You would now have, you know, three linebackers, at least at a minimum at four, three, the defensive line's obviously good offensive line. At that point, we just uh, addressed the biggest issue. West rights or left guard seems like a reasonably fine uh, player. Yes, we agree that they could use another receiver, but at a minimum, you have McLaurin, you have Samuel and you have Logan Thomas. Plus we just added another tight end and at running back. Like we've just all in the starting lab. We now effectively have no more hold. I'm not saying you can't improve. If you take a quarterback, that guy, even if in, again, you need one, but like that you're taking the chance that this guy is going to be good. And by the way, Todd McShay said when he picked Mond that Mond was like, he rated him like in the eighties or nineties, but took him 51. That is the point. Why would you take a player that you rank 30? I mean, I understand the importance, but you're 30 spots later. I, I just, I wouldn't do it. If it was Ryan Fitzpatrick and Steven Montez was the depth chart, I would say maybe they could take a quarterback, but you already have Kyle Allen and Heineke who they like at least enough. Uh, no, I would, this is why, unless you just flat out love a guy at a, from a value perspective, take the other guys who you think can actually start and play for you now. And maybe that closes the gap with you with some other teams ahead of you. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm totally with you on that quarterback situation. Like, I mean, come on. Like, I, I, I understand the importance of quarterback and believe me, no one gets that more than I do when I, kept saying that Washington before they signed Fitzpatrick should trade up for one of these quarterbacks. And I was getting yelled at on Twitter all the time. I, I get how important quarterback is, but at some point the positional value of quarterback, when you're going to the eighth, eighth, ninth, 10th best quarterback in the draft, there aren't that many good quarterbacks. And I'm sorry, but like the second best safety is probably better than Kellen Mond. He will make more of an impact, not just next year, but the next like three years. And the people that the okay, this is gonna upset people. If they do take a quarterback and they are forced to move on from Kyle Allen or Taylor Heineke, it's not that big a deal. Like Kyle Allen was probably gonna get released by the Panthers before Washington traded a fifth round pick. Taylor Heineke was a backup in the XFL. If they moved on from one of them, it's not a huge deal. And they have Fitzpatrick. They would have their developmental quarterback. And then they'd have this veteran backup who could play in a pinch. And I feel like people think that Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke are starting worthy quarterbacks. And yes, they started games last year. But would they have started any other games anywhere else last year? No, probably not. Not without a serious injury. But they both saw games. 
they're they're not they're not starting quarterbacks. I just I need to say that. I have to say it every time. I think I'm contractually obligated to say that they're not great. And we all need to calm down about them. <laughs> right. I, I, I agree. There's a difference between thinking that Ron Rivera likes them. Therefore, you know, it, it's, it seems unlikely that they would, that they would draft one to dump them, but simultaneously, if they did, it's not that big of a deal. If they could draft Johnny Guzang from UCLA though, I would take that. That guy is, that guy is a, uh, is, is a very good uh, at what he does. Uh, Brandon, you are very good at what you do. Uh, you can hear Brandon, of course, on, uh, with Kevin Sheehan in the mornings on the Team 980. Go follow him at Brendan Dar on Twitter. As I always say, if you're going to follow somebody on Twitter, please be nice. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, Ben. Thank you. All right. And uh, let's just transition from my conversation about the NFL draft to some college basketball. If you're an NFL draft, if you're a uh, not into the to, to college basketball, you're a Washington football fan, a draft fan, and you're, we're leaving you here. Totally get it. Uh, more podcasts to come this week. And of course, make sure you check out everything on The Athletic. Subscribe to the podcast. You know the drill. But for now, we're going to talk some college basketball with Jeff Ehrman from 24-7 Sports. The uh, Sunday before the Final Four, I, I, I basically, I'm talking here with Jeff Ehrman, uh, the, the, the go-to Maryland source uh, for all things, before we get, we talk about Mark Turgeon, and and uh, they just got obviously Cutis Wahab from Georgetown. The we're talking on the Sunday after the Final Four. I've been kind of like completely out on this NCAA tournament, and I've honestly been out on college basketball to various degrees for all hundred reasons, including the level of play isn't that good anymore. Man, was that? I assume you watched it. How awesome was that UCLA Gonzaga game? Like that was like, oh yeah, this is why I love this sport, or did at least. Yeah, that's a top ten tournament game. Maybe in my lifetime. I mean, like you said, the quality of play is down. Uh, I can see why NBA guys, when they watch, are like, uh, you know, I don't understand NBA fans. Like, I don't really get it. But uh, that was just incredibly high level, just hitting shots left and right, the drama. And I found myself becoming a UCLA fan. I'm a sucker for the underdog. Yeah. They were, they were so close. And uh, I just to see them lose like that after that kind of run was disappointing. But, yeah, that was an amazing game. Um, yeah, it was weird feeling like you're pulling for UCLA, the underdog, especially against Gonzaga, because obviously it's been reversed yeah. many yeah. times in the past and the Adam Morrison thing and all that. Um, so anyway, that was a, 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 a it was a lousy intro, but I'll, I've already said something at the beginning of the podcast. But again, Jeff Ehrman is the go to guy at 24 seven sports. Um, follow him there uh, before I get going. You guys, I know you guys always have big deals. Any, 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 anything going on right now for you guys with college basketball stone swing that people should know if they want to join? Yeah, we've got a really great deal right now. Actually, it's um, 60% off your first year for annual members. So basically your first year, you're paying like 10 cents a day for what I am very biased in saying is the best Terps and Terps recruiting coverage you'll find on the internet. So if you're a Maryland fan who who lives and breathes this stuff, then uh, there's no better deal to be found. That would be my plug. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I would agree. And this is actually what I look. we're going to talk about. Um, I know we don't typically talk about a lot of college basketball here, but you guys know I'm interested in the local scene and have been. That was how I really kind of got going uh, in terms of the writing career. And also, I just grew up rooting for all these teams. I was, you know, I don't know to just give my credentials, but, you know, I, I went to Lefter Gazelle's basketball camp, went to the final four. They lost to Duke, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> I'm just not into it as much these days, but when I am paying attention, it is interesting to figure out, well, where am I going to get information, particularly the Mark Turgeon situation has been going on now for a week or two. 
And honestly, there kind of is only one place to go right now, and that is you. And I think this is interesting on so many levels because it says a lot about what you do. You've been covering this team and this sport for a long time, but also what it says about the other aspects of the of the area. Not dis- disrespecting anybody that covers the team for the Washington Post or the Baltimore Sun. The, the Baltimore Sun, Marilyn Reporter, is my former intern at the Sports Capital. Um, Daniel does a, a, a great job. He's just a young kid, and he's still, you know, he's going up there. We don't have people who've been on the beat for a long time. It's just hard. It's just hard to to get a lot of background information. I don't know Emily who covers it for the Post, but she seems like she does a good job. But you are the go-to guy, and I think here's what I wonder. I want to get your take on this while I take a drink here. Hold on. I may or may not edit that out because I have to edit my whole podcast, Jeff. It's a problem. Oh man. <laughs> Out of cough. All right. Here's what I think is interesting. Turgeon is getting an extension. I'll, you'll, you'll elaborate in a minute here to whatever you can about what you what you know, and you've been reporting all of it. But if, if there, there were a lot of arguments where people are making to get rid of Turgeon, one tweet 16 since he's been here, you know, just never quite getting over the hump, whatever, whatever the thing is. My argument would basically on some level be this, if I was going to say he, he needs to go, does anybody care anymore? I know the Maryland fan base does. Your message boards light up whenever whenever things happen. I know people who live on your message boards. But if the Post and the Sun, like Maryland is not one, two media markets that are focusing on it, big media markets. And it doesn't feel like there's a lot of yet interest around this team right now. And I think on some level, part of that is college basketball is not where it was a few years ago. But part of me may wonder, is this the issue with Turgeon? Scheduling is not that great. They haven't had a deep run. They're just not the same momentum. I can't compare him to Gary Williams, who was a Maryland person and had a much more of emotional base to him. But that was my argument for if you're going to get rid of Turgeon, it would be that. That I just don't think there's enough interest. By the way, the Athletic does not cover Maryland right now. So um, that, that to me is what's interesting. You have thrived in this regardless, and it's good for you. But I'm just curious, like, when you look at it broadly like that, how do you, what do you think about it, like, from that perspective about the interest in this team and to that end, you know, have the entire sort of media landscape and does that reflect at all into, to some degree, the job Mark Turgeon has actually been doing? Yeah, Ben, that's a good question. I think that for the most part, media coverage is a reflection of what people want, even if they don't want to admit it, you know, if you look at people complaining about Trump coverage or political coverage, they're getting what, you know, guys like me, publishers or TV people, whoever are, they're going to publish or broadcast whatever people want. So I think when you look at Maryland's down cycle, just in terms of at least like March results, one tweet 16 in the past 15 years, you know, you've lost some interest there. I mean, that's a lot. One, one tweet 16 in 15 years is a pretty big drought for a basketball school. And then especially with a school that's won a national title in relatively modern history. That's right. And you had, yeah. And their expectations were raised by winning that national title. And then it just went, you know, it immediately kind of, they immediately hit a wall. They hit a sweet 16 that next year. And then it's been one in the 17 years after that. And then you have some fans, more the older ones who probably are still a little either upset or apathetic because of the move to the big 10. And then you have a lot of people who aren't that happy with, Mark Turgeon's scheduling, you know, it's been very bland uh, and the style of play also has not been, you know, the, the most uh, explosive up and down kind of, you know, they're traditionally or perennially, I should say, 
you know, below that 300 level in, in pace in Ken Palm nationally out of 357 schools or whatever it is, they always seem to be in like 320 or 330 in pace. People want to see up and down. So, you know, I think the coverage is kind of a reflection of some of that apathy or some of that uh, frustration with the results in recent years. And that's why you have, and I, I agree with you, both of those reports you mentioned, I think are really good, but they're not, those newspapers haven't been putting their most seasoned people on those beats like you might have seen back when Maryland was really good. Um, and so, you know, it's just kind of a reflection of market demands, basically. But uh, in terms of Turgeon, you know, that, that was obviously the biggest story in a long time. There was a minute where I thought that there was a chance he might be done, whether that would be getting fired or moving out. But you know, for, for a variety of reasons that didn't happen. And now he's back and, uh, you know, the fans are kind of semi back on board after he grabbed those transfers you mentioned, but it's always a love hate deal with him. I think and it'll be that way until you see that deep tournament run that everybody's so thirsty for. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm just sort of curious, like there's different types of, uh, reporters. Some people, I guess, or just sort of the straight, hey, I'm just going to tell you the news and the facts as I know them, and I'm not going to offer too much opinion. Other people go more into the, I guess, calmly realm. I, I probably veer off into that later realm, sometimes maybe too much, but who knows? I have fun <laughs> doing it sometimes. So I don't know where you are exactly on that, but I'm sort of curious, what was not so much what, because you obviously were on top of things with Turgeon, but like, what was your thought as to what should happen? Were you down with giving him, and, and just to sort of, I guess my understanding is, uh, basically what you had and in, 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 is that he received an extension, but I remember I covered Randy Edsel's first year at Maryland. So I was paying attention to his run and it was sort of, he got an extension, but then we saw the, 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 the money. I was like, eh, it's not really an extension. It's an extension but yeah. out of it kind of easily. So my sense is that that's what happened here with Turgeon to some degree. So I guess I'm just wondering, you can elaborate on that, but what did you think should happen with, with that scenario? You know, it's really tough call. Then I think, you know, it's hard to fire a guy who's been in the tournament six out of seven years. Um, schools just don't typically do that. It's happened here. I mean, UCLA fired Steve Alford. I think he had been to two or three Sweet 16s. And there have been a couple other, but for the most part, publicly, it's hard to justify both because of the buyout money. You know, they would have to pay $6 million. And then there's a school of thought that it hurts you with your next coach. You know, oh, they, they just fired this this guy after he went to the tournament every year. Why would I go there? I'm just going to get fired. So, you know, I, it, it would have been hard to fire him. I, I can see the school of thought, though, just with the kind of overwhelming amount of negativity from the fan base to where they might have uh, kind of hinted to him to see what else is out there. You know, I thought that that might happen. Uh, I don't think he did. Several, a lot of jobs opened up. I don't think he sniffed around at all. I think he... You know, he's got a son in college locally at Catholic. He's got a daughter in high school and he just didn't, he didn't want to move. And he clearly had the leverage, you know, they would have owed him $6 million. They don't have it. They're 40 million bucks in the hole from COVID. Uh, they had to pay out Jordan McNair's parents, three, three and a half million dollars. They had to pay, I don't know what the final total was, maybe around $10 million to DJ Durkin and others related to that uh, drama and that, firing so you know they just weren't in a position even if they wanted to and I don't think Damon Evans is necessarily infatuated with Turgeon he didn't make the hire you know it's not necessarily his guy ADs always like to have their guy um so long story short you know I didn't 
think it was highly likely that he got fired, but there was definitely a stretch there where I thought there might be enough pressure for him to look around and see what else is out there. But it, again, it would have been, it would have been just would have been hard to justify firing him, but it also on the flip side, it's very understandable that people aren't fully happy with the results. Yeah. Um, I know some of those people and I know some of the people that <laughs> you know, as well, uh, who, uh, who, who were not thrilled about, about that. Um, I guess one part of this is with regards to expectations, right? I mean, I mean, look, I grew up here as did you, and, you know, I wasn't old enough to remember the early lefty stuff with Tom McMillan and Len Elmore when basically they were like the number two team in the country at NC State, but the, the, the world was different then, and only one team per conference was making the NCAA tournament and all that stuff. But, you know, it was there for, for, for Adrian Branch and Len Bias and on through, through the years, all then, you know, lefty, obviously the tragedy of Len Bias, lefty goes, the Bob Wade years, we get to Gary, um, that builds the progression there. We get to the back-to-back Final Fours and they win the title. And, you know, throughout that whole time, you know, it look, it always felt like Maryland was the, uh, you know, the, I don't want to say the stepchild, but I can't think of the better term. You know, it, it was Duke and Carolina and Maryland was trying their best to, to compete and Gary would got them to compete. They always played well against those teams and then eventually obviously pushed through. So I think there was always this expectation around here of, you know, why why can't we be that maybe we understood carolina duke ucla okay it's another level but what we can we can compete and then when you factor in wait when, when people started to realize like hey prince george's county is where like all the best players are and the wcac i mean i know we kind of knew that but when it started to really be more quantified when people would say hey look the, the more more nba players are coming out of this county than basically anywhere else in the country it's like well wait if we have it right here in the literal backyard why can't we do better and I know that was always a knock on Gary at times with the recruiting at least in terms of the the McDonald's All-American types I think he was really good at at identifying players that fit for him I think after they won the tournament maybe it was a little dicier but I guess my question is or my wonder is with regards to expectations are they out of like I think there are some schools that have ridiculous expect different ridiculous view of themselves for all kinds of reasons and maybe they had a pass like Maryland did that tells them they think that they should be good. But I think with Maryland, you have this recruiting base and I get it. Some kids want to leave town, but you have this recruiting base. I know the big 10 is not the ACC, but it is still a, a, a big, a big thing. Um, the arena is really good. Should expectations realistically be a national title, a top 20 year in and year out. Is that real? Or is that part of the problem here with Turgeon that we have people have expectations that are so out of whack from the reality that Turgeon is doing well, but it's not doing well against false expectations. Where, where, what would you say to kind of any of that stuff? Yeah. People have asked me versions of that questions question a million times. And what I always say is. And I was yes. trying to be original, damn it. I mean, that's the perpetual question about Maryland though. I mean, that's, that's the number one question from a 10,000 foot view about the program that anybody would come to. And I, you know, I think that um, the answer is that Maryland should be that, you know, it should be that program that's competing for regular Sweet 16s, competing for titles, at least here and there, national titles. It should, but it never has been. So it's got the resources to be that. And the recruiting base, like you said, the facilities are good, although they do need to get this practice facility going. Um 
or get it, get it built. They're working on getting it built because there's a lot of lesser programs that have nice practice facilities. So Maryland's behind on that. Uh, but it, sh it should be that, but it never has been. So, I mean, except for that, you know, those few stretches you mentioned, but even so, those two years when Gary won it and went to the final four, those were his only two elite eights. So it's not like they were regularly competing to go to the final four. They were a sweet 16 fixture. They were getting um, blown out by UCLA, by St. John's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, eventually you would think somebody's going to take over the program who's going to be able to recruit at a high enough level just because there's so many good players in the area and the facilities, the, you know, the arena is great and the fan support is incredible but it just hasn't happened. So you can't really expect it. You can hope for it, but people who talk about expecting it, like it should be an automatic. I mean, there's no basis in history to say that that's what you should expect, but clearly the pieces are there. But another thing people don't realize is the resources aren't financially are not what, what other similar programs for the most part are shelling out. You know, everybody's always like, Oh, Maryland is a top 10 job. Well, again, same lines. It could be a top 10, maybe should be, but they don't pay like a top 10. I mean, I think Turgeon is probably in the 30s nationally in in salary. You know, they don't spend on recruiting what some other schools spent, spend. They don't have the endowments of some of these schools. So, you know, that's another thing people really don't, don't quite realize is that Maryland doesn't spend like a top 10 program almost ever. And, you know, money matters in college sports. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a good point. It, it, that lack of spending is that you mentioned some of the issues um, with the budget now, but some of those things are more recent in terms of the football program as well as COVID, obviously. W pre that, so let's just say five years ago, even, they had these other issues the, 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 the post Debbie Yao world, I guess, with the, with, with the football expansion. And that was led to the, the, the budget shortfall, which led to the switch to the Big Ten. It does, that's just a broad. Was it from sort of that that led to the to the lack of spending, or is that kind of always have they always kind of lagged? I think they've always lagged to some extent. I think the what you said is true. The football expansion ended up being a terrible idea that they took a bath on. I think Debbie Yao thought that those three magical years under Ralph Regan, it was going to just stay like that, and the place was going to be overflow crowds, and that would have been great. But it didn't happen. Obviously, things tailed off. They fired Freegen, whether you agree or not. That's always going to be a hot button issue for a lot of people, especially given who they replaced him with. Uh, and then the struggle became really, really real under Edsel and the place is empty every weekend. So you're losing money on that. You also don't have the donor base that these other big 10 schools have. I mean, Maryland has, I think, 3,500 people in the Terrapin Club, which is its main booster club, 3,500 people for a school the size of Maryland with the number of alums and the number of fans is, is pathetic to be honest and you look I mean some of these schools you know forget Ohio State they're going to have 30 times as many or 50 times but even some of these other mid-level Big Ten schools you know Wisconsin and others like that still have that that number of donors several times over so that's a big part of it too because people locally don't you know even if they go to Maryland a lot of them don't you know, kind of, uh, they're not as religious about the school as people who grow up in like Pennsylvania and then go to Penn State where it's like they'll drive five hours every weekend to go back if they don't live there for a game. So some of that is the culture of being in an area that's, you know, a pro sports town, a lot of kind of bandwagon fit Maryland fans, I would say are a little more fair weather fans than like Nebraska, where I think they had a couple of years ago, they had a 
they had like 90,000 people turn out for a recruiting event. Literally, it was recruits playing on the field, and they packed like 90,000 people <laughs> into the yeah. stadium. So you're never going to get that. So that's just an inherent uh, challenge for Maryland. But clearly, they could do better. It's just you know the results in football and basketball for the past decade plus just haven't been that good to get people to come to every game or donate. Yeah, no, you're right. The, the, the area, as we see with the pro sports, it's not, you know, look, again, I grew up here, so I'll defend it if the outsiders want to crap on us. But, like, yeah, it's <laughs> not the greatest sports town for sure. And, and you know, compared to Penn State, like I've said, I think people that go to Penn State, there's like a, it's like a cult. I, I mean, yeah. even normal people I know who are Penn State people are insane <laughs> about that, about everything about that place. I don't know what it is, but. Uh, I right. compared them. uh I compared them to a cult on Twitter like eight years ago, and and they still hate me for it. Depends. <laughs> I still get trolls all the time because I said one comment about how they were a little bit cultish. So don't don't say that on Twitter. Trust me. Uh, deal. I mean, I know some Penn State people. You know, they, they seem normal. <laughs> but then I don't know. You bring up the Penn State stuff, it gets crazy. Um, l- let me ask you about recruiting. Um, so this is the other question, right? Is, um. What, what you know like look I, I get it like you know a guy like Kevin Durant you know get get why you know get that guy here right I mean simple enough it's of course not that simple he obviously went to Texas and as we saw later in his NBA life he had no interest in coming home then either so look some guys are going to be like that but of course there are some people who do stay locally and you know I pay more attention to some degree on recruiting these days on the Georgetown front and they have some of the same um, concerns as well and I guess the question for the Maryland side is what do the actual people locally think about Maryland? And it isn't just 100% about Mark Turgeon. There is other factors. I mean, look, I'm not, again, I'm, I'm not discounting I'm not discounting Maryland, but like it's not the most picturesque of campuses. Route one is improved, but it's not exactly some beautiful area. And I don't, and also like, again, if you are from here, I get it. If you have the opportunity to go away, from your from everybody it would be kind of interesting especially if you're a young person you haven't traveled or whatever to go away but ultimately i think in some level it comes down to what do people around town think of maryland why what forget what maryland's do you talk to all these coaches and, and aau people what do they think of maryland in terms of when they're talking to their kids and saying here's why you should go there do they talk it up do they think people should go there uh, some do. I think that it hasn't been really cool to go to Maryland locally for a while now. It was very cool coming off the national championship. And obviously Turgeon's gotten some local players, but it just it hasn't been a trendy thing necessarily. I don't know what to attribute that to, whether it's I'm sure the Big Ten move didn't help that much. You know, playing in the ACC, playing against Duke and Carolina was a pretty good selling point. And then you know, it doesn't, I don't think it helps that they're an Under Armour school, you know, Nike kind of runs the show. The top players tend to play on the EYBL, which is Nike circuit. So their coaches, you know, it's not like they're told by Nike, go here and go there, but like any business, people who have the same connections run in the same circle. So if you're running an AAU program that's Nike sponsored, you probably talk to a lot more college assistants who are at Nike schools. And so it kind of funnels that way. So that's not the whole reason, but I do think that that's been a challenge under armor under armor is not really cool right I, mean, I still like their stuff i still have a bunch of, but for kids like i don't think it's very cool it, more so on the football side it is but basketball it's not it doesn't have that branding they tried with steph curry um they've tried to make a few runs mm-hmm. and seemingly semi gave up on that um so you know it's 
these things go in cycles, but when you have the, the top local AAU programs that are also Nike affiliated and most of their players, I mean, team takeover is the best, obviously, in the area. Maryland's gotten very few players from them. Uh, DeMatha, Mike Jones, great coach, has said firmly that it's not a Nike thing, but, you know, Maryland hasn't got a DeMatha player since 2013. And then some would tell you that it would help them to have a local guy on their staff. You know, they have Bino Ranson, who's a Baltimore native and knows everybody in Baltimore and consistently gets players there. But the rest of their staff, they don't have a D.C. guy, which they've, you know, Maryland has typically had most of the time over the years. So I think that 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 might have hurt them a little bit, too. Yeah, that seems like it. And the Under Armour thing is fascinating. I compared it the other day to um, I my phone. I uh, I have a Android and I get more hate in my life from iPhone people. Absolutely yelling at me. I, I mean, being serious, like really mad me at me. Are, are, are you are you an android yeah i'm team android and people act like you're a, you're like living in a box on the street or something because you have an android <laughs> right and like they get mad like i'll be in like text threads and like i'm screwing up the text thread because they can't label it and all this stuff and that's how it feels like with this thing it's like nike had such an advantage that it is to go outside of the nike brand is to be yelled at if you, you know, buy if you're what do you mean you're with under armor it, it almost feels like it's got that type of quality people are just like so indoctrinated into this thing that it's hard to to get to do something else and you mentioned the the the, the recruiting circuit and, and that makes a lot of sense if nike is the one sponsoring a lot of these things you're going to funnel people towards uh towards those schools so that is an interesting um well, i'm just uh, jealous that the, that the iphone people can like the comment because i don't think we can do that on android and i haven't figured out how to like something and that like that's such a great way to end a conversation that needs to be ended without the, when you have nothing left to say, you know, just a little <laughs> passive aggressive like and move on. And we can't do that. So right. I don't we, know. Sure. Our best we can do is like an emoji or so, of some yeah, sort. Yeah, I'm gonna have to start typing like I like that comment or something. I don't know. Just it's <laughs> I just type the word like. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um. Let, let me let me kind of round it out out, out here. So obviously. Um, we talked about, or, you know, big news over the weekend, Maryland got two recruits. The most notable one, at least from my world, is uh, Cutis Wahab from Georgetown, which was a big surprise that he left the program. I mean, in this era of college basketball, I'm not surprised when anybody's leaving. It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I'm not, I, everybody has the right to leave. It's just off the charts crazy. College yeah, basketball, among the issues for me, is like, I don't even know who's on these teams anymore. And that was before, that was just because of one and done. Now they're all leaving. It is just like, well, I don't even know. And Wahab, you would have thought a big man playing at Georgetown. He's like an old school big man. He's not a sleek big man. He's, you know, a, a, more of a powerful center. You're with Patrick Ewing. This is the this is the guy to, to be with. And he improved a lot yeah. uh, th th this last year. So it was surprised to me that he left. I guess to what degree did you hear what, if you've heard of anything, um, why that happened? And then I guess to that end, how did Maryland get, kind of get involved? Um, so I talked to someone close to him, and he said basically that he just didn't like it at Georgetown. I think socially and with the team, he just didn't vibe with the guys. And, you know, I think he felt like he was being – I mean, he had to feel like he was being developed well, like you said. I mean, to go from five points a game to like 12 and eight on 59% as a sophomore – is as good as it gets and then you have Patrick Ewing developing you so that's that doesn't really add up but I think he I guess he just basically didn't like it there I know he has 
Uh, his guardian has some longtime connections with Matt Brady from the Maryland staff. Matt Brady, I think, coached uh, Wahab's guardian at St. Joe's, so that was the connection. And so once he started looking out, I think Maryland was the first place he wanted to keep him local, and that's where he ended. So it's a, obviously a huge blow, and I'm sure makes it add insult to injury for Georgetown fans that he's going to Maryland out of all places. Um, not that they're ever going to necessarily play each other again, because you know they just they can't seem to make that happen. Who, who do you but, think owes? Who do you think owes the other? Who who do you think owes the game? <laughs> um. Well, I think the last game was at Georgetown, if I recall correct. That might be wrong. I know Jake, her, Kevin Herter had that play late for Maryland to steal one at Georgetown uh, like five years ago. I think that, yeah, because I think before that they played at Maryland the Diamond Stone year. So I believe it's Maryland's turn. Uh, but, you know, once you get that uh, John Thompson influence out of the program, whenever that happens, whenever Ewing's gone, you'd think it'll be a total refresh unless they just decide to bring JT3 back or something just because. Oh, know. I think if, if, if Ewing were to go, I would put JT3 super high on the list just based on how things go at Georgetown. They don't go out yeah. the family. So, so why not go back? The, the, when, when I get past the NFL draft and I'm into the summer and I'm running out of football topics, it'll be things like this when I go back into D.C. Like, okay, break it down. I'm just gonna bring. I'm gonna have a panel of like Georgetown and Maryland people who owes the game and just have everybody yell at each other for well, an hour. If you get the panel, then I'm gonna write it up and put it on my site because people, there's a few things people Maryland fans will always write, read, and and the Georgetown anything that allows them to hate on Georgetown is one of those, but. Uh, so they got him and that's huge for Maryland. You know, they didn't have a center last year, literally did not have a center. And now you have a potential, you know, top level Big Ten center on your team. And they, you know, then they went and got Fats Russell point guard from Rhode Island. So they've gone from trying to push Turgeon out the door to, to talking about are we ranked top 10 going into next year in a matter of like 48 hours. Yeah, no, that was a while. That was a whiplash moment for sure. Um, I, 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 uh, Turgeon has not commented yet, correct? No, I don't know if they've officially signed, so I right. don't think he can. I'm sure the press release will be out on Monday, I would guess. Because I, I guess what I, you know, uh, and I admit I didn't watch a ton of college basketball this year beyond some Georgetown. I saw Merrill here and there. But, you know, I watched the tournament games, and, you know, it's so jarring to see them playing, you know, five guys, basically six, seven or, or, or smaller. You know, it, it's one thing to use five out lineups, as people do all the time, but – that when you have to do that, it becomes a different story. So Wahab yeah. is, a, is like I said, a very more of an old school center. His assist to turnover ratio is insane. Like basically he had as many assists as you and I did last year. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, he, but he can score around the rim. He can do some things for sure. Um, but like, you know, defensively, you know, Colorado in the NCAA tournament game, um, you know, they really took advantage of Georgetown on the perimeter, got open look after open look. And I think part of that was, not completely on him by any stretch, but part of it was like taking advantage of him um, inability to get outside. So I guess I'm just wondering, based on how Turgeon has been playing, how do you see that? Because like, let's say like a Bruno Fernando was a more mobile big man. That was the more recent yeah. guy they've had. Um, and, and that he's, Bruno Fernando seems more fit with the modern era. Wahab maybe a little more old school. So how, what's your sense of like, how does he actually fit with Maryland beyond the fact that he's a, a potentially a good player? Yeah, I think this year, by necessity, taught them how to play small. Turgeon's always been an old-school guy. He likes to have a big center down there, likes to throw it in, have it thrown back out, which 
clearly they're going to have to work on the throw back out part with Wahab. Uh, maybe they can teach him, teach him this summer uh, to actually kick the ball out once in a while. So, but I think the good thing for them is now they could, they can alternate back and forth between small and traditional. They still have, you know, most of those pieces. The question is going to be whether Eric Ayala and Aaron Wiggins come back, you know, if they have both of them, uh, you have Russell now a point guard, then you, and you get another big man, then you can play big or you can play small, which, you know, is a rare luxury right now, especially with, you know, guys just jumping from one team to another. So long story short, I mean, I think Turgeon's preference is to play with that big guy in the middle, you throw it into, but if they get everybody back as they should, except for Daryl Morsell, obviously uh, they'll be pretty versatile. Um, I am sure by the time I go back on Twitter, you will have another story that says big news coming or some news <laughs> coming. Be sure you're signed up, click and tease. Is there anything you would like to, uh, without screwing up your own business, is there anything we should be looking looking out for or, uh, um, or do you need to make more calls once we get off here? No, we'll have some stuff on uh, some player stay or go news and some scheduling news and possibly also transfer stuff coming on uh, Monday. So it's, this is the hot stove time. It's not, not going to slow down, which is how I like it. You know, it's, once the summer hits and I'm writing about like Maryland's top 10 left-handed shooting guards is when it gets really rough. So this is, this is a good time. Well, and I'm glad it's also just for everybody. Cause like last year, that was the top 10 left-handed shooting guards. That's like, we were all having to do that. Um, yeah, for for a, a large chunk of the of the of the year because you know, there was no sports for the most part in a lot of ways. Um, actually, I do have one last question for you, and this is not about Maryland, but it's actually about Georgetown. I know you're probably if, if I could ask you to take off your Maryland bias hat for a second, but when you're talking to people around about Maryland and whatever else, you're obviously having conversations and other teams come up. Yeah. What is what what's your sense or of that of of where Georgetown is, or maybe not your sense, but the community sense of where Georgetown is. Georgetown obviously makes the NCAA tournament, but by winning the Big East tournament. So I think a lot of people were writing, Patrick Ewing's got this figured out. I would say as a person paying attention, I'm like, uh, they did play better down the stretch of the year, even before that tournament run. But ultimately they did win those games, but I, I wouldn't like be so quick to say they figured it all out. And now when you lose Wahab, it's not that Wahab was Ewing, Morning, or Matumbo, but that's on top of losing James Akinjo and Mac McClung a year ago. Transfers happen. We see this, but you can't keep losing your starters. Uh, something that uh, uh, when I talk to Bobby Bancroft on the on the Casual Hoya podcast, he talks about a lot. So, what's your sense of where Georgetown is? Do you is do people think this is they're on the rise based on kind of what just happened, or you know, four years of Ewing? Not sure yet. Yeah, I think in basketball circles, people really want Georgetown to be good. Maybe even more so than Maryland, unless you're speaking specifically to a Maryland fan, because so many people in kind of my age range for between that 40 and 50, whatever range, grew up with Georgetown being such a powerhouse. They have so much sentimental connection. So they tend to, I think, lean toward the positive. Even when things like this go down, they defend Ewing, you know, even if you criticize him, which I, you know, I grew up cheering for Georgetown too. So I'm not negative toward them in any way, but you know, look at his record it's not that great you know I think he's uh I'm trying to remember what his percentage is in Big Ten play I think it's around, hovering around 30 35 percent winning percentage and then to have all these players these star players leaving year after year uh you wonder if he's 
getting to be on the hot seat. I think obviously he helped himself with that run toward the end of last year. And now, you know, he managed to bring in a really good recruiting class. So he's helped himself out there. He's got a five-star Amino Muhammad coming in, which was a huge score. So long story short, I think people want them to be good and they're a little biased towards them. You know, they, they get defensive at times when you criticize. So maybe that gives him a bigger leash. Um, but they also see that, you know, he's not recruiting that well locally. Georgetown isn't what it was during that stretch where it was getting all those local kids, Austin Freeman and Chris Wright and Dewan Summers and all those, he was just racking up all those local kids. Ewing hasn't been able to do that. Uh, so I think there's also some people who question his staffing and wonder why he hasn't gone out and gotten a local AAU guy to help him out. Um, so, you know, long story short, I think people are hoping for them to be good, but um, you know, it's, they realize that he's still kind of sputtering along. For sure. Um, all right. I, I appreciate you indulging me on that. Uh, but that's not why people pay attention to Jeff Ehrman. They pay attention because he's got the, all the goods on Maryland. Make sure you go subscribe to uh, 24 seven to go read all Jeff's stuff. I'm, I'm telling you, by the time you hear this podcast, you will already had four things up saying, <laughs> I got, I got more scoop and it's You're not putting a lot. pressure all- on me now, Ben. I, I, you do it all the time. I, 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 I trust me. It's you do it like all the time, especially this last. I mean, this is between the detergent thing, transfers coming in, recruiting. This is the moment for uh, for Jeff Ehrman, and you're doing a great job. Oh, um, I appreciate I, it. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for the uh, for the time and the insight. And uh, when I get that Georgetown Maryland panel on the summer, I'll let you know. We can. Uh, we, well, I'll we, get my free we, content out of it. Sounds good, man. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ben.